So as you might have guessed, we're going to finish the book of achievements <laughs> already. Yeah. You know, I, uh, I was talking to, to one of my pastors about this. I'm like, you know, every time that I speak, it seems like that I'm messing up my words all the time. And, and he says, have you ever thought that this might be a spiritual attack? And he said, you know, how did people's faith grow? I said, well, faith comes by hearing and the Word of God. So yeah, they have to hear you speak the Word. And if the devil attacks your words, then it makes it difficult for people to receive what you have for them, what God has for them. So this morning, I'm just going to ask, you know, my tongue belongs to God. And it is His to do with what He wishes. So I just thank you, Father, right now for directing my speech, Father, that it would not be hindered, Father, but it would be used for your good and your will. Amen. Amen. So we're going we're gonna to try that again. We're going to go ahead and continue in the book of Ephesians this morning. We're going to finish out the series. This is the last chapter, Ephesians chapter 6. And I've entitled it, Be Strong in the Lord. So as you recall, the first three chapters that we dealt with have been, the first three chapters were who we are in Christ, what we've received in Christ, the great blessings of Christ. And the last couple of chapters, if you recall, has all been instruction, how we're to, to walk that out, how we're to live our lives. And that's been really good. And actually, the first part of this book, we're going to start with a little bit more instruction. But how many of you guys have ever been told to do something? And you've explained that this is why you should do it. This is, the, this is all the good reasons. And now I need you to do it. But you're like, but I don't know how to do it. I, what am I supposed to do? You're telling me to do these things, but I, I don't understand. It would be like, an example would be like this. If I, if I took you guys to the, the nicest mechanic shop that you've ever seen, it has every tool that you could ever imagine, and I walked you in there with my car, and save maybe Jose in this room, if I walked you in there with my car and I said, you know what, the, the, the engine is knocking and it's just rattling around, something is wrong with it, and I, I need my car running good, and I've provided you with everything that you need, to fix my car, would you go ahead and go on and fix my car? And you would stand there and be like, I, I don't know what to do. I don't understand. How, how, how do I fix it? I mean, you've given me all the tools. You've told me why I need to do it, but I still don't know how to fix the car. And in the same, in the same way, I think that happens for us. You know, another example that I was thinking about is, is with my wife. I just get music. I get rhythm. I, I can feel it on my bones. I know rhythm. And I, I explained to my wife, and I'm like, you know, we need to be on beat. This is why we do it. This, you know, we stay in time, so we're together. And, you know, we, we clap on beat. That's why we do all the things. And I can tell her all the reasons why that's good. And I can tell her that she needs to do it. But if I can't tell her how to do it, then, then she, she's not going to be able to clap along the beat. And it's hard for me to describe because I just feel it. I, 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 I can't give you the, the step-by-step. And, and she just doesn't. Praise God. And, uh, but anybody like that, I, if you can't explain how to do it, no matter all the information, all the tools, all the, you know, it doesn't matter if you can't show them how to do it. You know, and going back to the car example, if I told you to try to fix my car and I gave you all the tools, you might even start fooling around, you know, I can hear where it's coming from, and you pull the tools out, you're taking stuff apart, and chances are you're going to fail a lot, even with everything that you need. You're, you're not going to fix the car. If you have some semblance of knowledge, you, you might eventually figure it out. But man, that was a hard road to get there. And I think 
that can be what happens when we listen to somebody preach the word this, uh, any morning that you hear it. Because you hear the pastor up going on, man, you just need to lead, lead a sinless life and you need to just put your faith in God and put all your trust in Him and He tells you all the good things to do and, and in the end you're like, yeah, that's a little bit easier said than done. But I thank God that this morning that Paul doesn't leave it like this. You know, Paul spends the first few chapters telling us what we have. He gives us a couple more chapters of, of, of instruction on how to live your life. And then he begins to tell you what you need to do to live that way. He gives us the instructions. So let's go ahead and, uh, and get into it this morning. First, we're going to start with just a few more instructions. Because it's, there's a lot of things that we need to do to live a godly life. And that goes from uh, the children all the way up to adults. And, and he actually begins this chapter with talking about children. And in Ephesians 6, 1 through 3, it says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. You know, for children to obey their parents is a commandment of God. You know, it's not just something that parents made up because they thought it would be a, make our life easier. This is actually a commandment from God that children obey their parents. And he actually gives a couple of reasons that they should do so. First, he says to obey your parents in the Lord. You know, Christian children should do that because as Christian children, how I many you know they're supposed to imitate Christ just like the adults are supposed to imitate Christ? There's no difference in that. In John 5.19, it says, So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of His own accord, but only what He sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. You know, Jesus was a Son. And it says that He did nothing of His own accord. He was obedient to His Father. And if Jesus was obedient to His Father, and Christian children are supposed to model Christ, then that's the same thing that should be happening in their life. They should be modeling Christ. He also says... That not only that, but this is right. It's just the right thing to do. It's only fitting that children would obey and listen to their parents because it's out of respect and thanksgiving for all the things that they've done for them. How I many know that the, the children, your parents care for you. They take care of you. They, from the day you were born, children are being take, taken care of by their parents. They provide everything. Shelter, food, protection, and then really, parents go way above and beyond. Because they, they buy them not only the stuff that they need to survive, because that's, I mean, that's good. That's all really as a parent you're required to do is make sure your kids are protected and sheltered and clothed and fed. But as parents, we all go much farther than that. And we buy them the stuff that they want to make them happy. We buy them the, the, the video games that they want or cell phones or, or all those different things we buy for their kids. And really, it's, it's just it's natural, it's right. Just like our natural response to God for all that He's done for us is to be obedient to Him because He's bought us with a price. He's paid for everything. It's natural for children to do, this, do the same thing. They've been looking out, parents have been looking out for children and keeping them safe, even with the very instructions that the children despise. Have you ever, as, an, as adults, as us, have you ever got an instruction from God? You're like, yeah, I don't want to do that. That doesn't sound like fun for me. God, you're just trying to take my fun away. That's why you won't let me do these things. And the same thing goes for parents, for their children. When we give instructions, when we give, give you instructions, Allie, when you're giving instructions, Wayne, it's not for 
for you to not have any fun. You know, it's like when your kids were little and you said, hey, stop running. Look both ways before you run out into the street. None of us did that because we're like, man, I really hate it when my kids run and have fun. I just want them to walk all the time. None of us did it because, because we know if they run out in the middle of the street, they get hit by a car. Or what about when you tell your kids to clean their room? There can't be a good reason behind that. That's just to make your kids' lives miserable. Miserable, miserable. Cleaning your room, it's the worst thing ever. But you know what? A clean room has many benefits. One, it's a, it's a health hazard. What if something were to happen and you had to get out of your room and you tripped over and stumbled on everything? The house was burning down and you're trying to get out and you tripped in your room in the middle of the night with no light and you, you bonked your head and passed out and you burned to death. You know, there's a reason we do that. Or what about just your mental health? Have you ever noticed that if you're, if you're just in a clean room, it just feels better <laughs> than in a dirty room? You know, we don't give instructions because we're trying to be mean and take their fun away. But it's for their own well-being. Oh, what about when you get your... We had the, the kids in the car were driving home and Haley's talking about when she gets her license and she's like... You know, I'm going to be driving all the time. She starts talking about how she's going to drive everywhere. And I'm like, you need to slow down. You're not driving on the interstate anywhere for a while. You need to, you know, it, it, you don't get your license and get free reign. I didn't say that because I want to make her life miserable and I don't want her to drive anywhere. But it's because she doesn't have the experience yet. She doesn't have the experience to handle that kind of driving. And it's, it's just unsafe for her and unsafe for her friends if her friends are with her. And... Uh, that's why we say that, not, to, not because we want to be rude and mean and take our fun away. But it's because we love them and we want the best for them, and that's why we do these things. And for this reason, uh, children should obey their parents. And then finally it says that this is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. See, if parents don't obey, if kids don't obey their parents, it pretty much says they're, they're going to die. Probably because the parents will kill him. But, <laughs> but it's the first commandment with a promise. The Bible says in Exodus 20.12 is where he's quoting this from. It says, obey your parents. And if you do so, you'll be blessed. You'll be blessed. Remember that when you don't want to obey, that you'll be blessed if you do. And I may kill you if you don't. So, <laughs> praise God. But then he goes on, if we go on to the next verse in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, it starts talking about the parents have instructions too. Don't worry, it's not just you guys. we got a responsibility as well. And even though it says fathers, that includes all you mothers in the room too. This is parenting. He's talking about godly parenting right here. In Ephesians 6, verse 4, it says, Fathers and mothers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Did I just hear you go amen to that? Mm-hmm. See, that's what happens when somebody doesn't understand what the Scripture is trying to say. They twist it to their own means here. She thought it meant that, we, that they can't ever get angry at us. It's not quite what it means. But don't worry, we're going to talk about it. You know, as parents, we're not supposed to do things that are just to poke and prod our children. You know, if we go back to that last example about driving the cars, if you're not letting them drive their car for a reason that's beneficial to them, you know, because they're not experienced or not ready, we're getting them up to that point, then you're, you're parenting in a godly manner. Even if they get mad at you for not letting them drive the car wherever they want as soon as they get their license. But if 
two years later, you're still not letting them do any of those things just because you're a jerk, then you got it wrong. That's, that's provoking your children to anger. It's not for their benefit. Now it's just because you're being mean. You're, you're just poking and prodding. You're provoking them to anger for no, for no apparent reason. You know what it is? Is Because we're in a position of authority over our children doesn't give us the right to abuse it and be abusive and cruel to our children. Don't take advantage of your position, but instead parent in a godly way, making sure you're taking care of them. Like I said, this doesn't mean that if they get angry at you, that you're doing the wrong thing. Because the truth is, if you discipline your children as you should, and you take away privileges, no matter how justified it is, they're probably going to be angry with you. That's just part of life. That's not what it's talking about here. If, If you couldn't discipline your children, if they got angry, you would never be able to discipline them at all. But if you are disciplining them because you're trying to do it in a godly manner, it's for their own good, the reason you're doing this is so they'll grow, then you're doing it the right way. He says that we're supposed to bring them up in discipline and instruction of the Lord. You know that discipline is important in a child's life? Extremely important in a child's life. Matter of fact, even as, as uh, uh, the Bible says, I don't recall the exact verse or really the exact wording, but it says something along the lines of it, that no discipline is, is fun for the people that are receiving it. Even when God disciplines us, it's not always fun for us, but it is for our benefit. But in Proverbs 23, 13-14, it says, Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. That's good to know, right? If you strike him with a rod, you will save his soul from shale. You know, there's this, this idea going around now through, through different parenting circles that, oh, only positive reinforcement. Don't ever discipline your child in any way. Only, you see what kind of kids are being raised right now by following that methodology. The Bible says don't withhold discipline from your child because the rod's not going to kill him. Actually, the Bible says that it'll save him his soul from shale, from shale. It'll actually save your child if you'll discipline them. In Proverbs 13:24 it says that whoever spares the rod hates his son. But he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Disciplining your child and raising them up instructing them in the Lord is a sign of love for your child. And if your child is never disciplined, those, those, those children that, are, that get away with whatever they want, their parents let them do anything, you know, the, the ones that your kids come home with, and you're like, Sally gets to do it. You know, those kids. That, that's actually a sign that they're, they're, if their parents are only trying to be their friend, that's not a sign of love. That's a sign, that's a sign of not loving them. And then it talks about godly instruction. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 7 says, Hear, O Israel, that the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. And then in verse 7 it says that you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. The instructions from God that we receive are important for our children. It's not something that we should only hear on Sunday morning and never tell our kids about. We're supposed to raise them up in the Lord. And in Proverbs 22.6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. You know, we only have a short window 
of time in our children's life. And we want to raise them the best that we can because there's going to be a day when they are out of the house and the decisions they make are going to be based on what they've learned growing up. If you've raised them well, when temptation comes, when, when those things come their way, then by the praise God that they will make decisions that are godly because you've trained them well. Now ultimately it's still the decision. If your kids make dumb decisions when they move out of the house, they have to fess up for, you know, Jeff, Jeff, I think it was Jeff Fox really did a, did a joke where he said, he says, you know what, I keep watching these kids go on, on these, uh, these talk shows and they say, you know, my, uh, my mom did this or my dad did this and that's why I am the way I am. He goes, you know what, I wish that I would just see a kid go on one of these shows and say, you know what, my mama was great, my daddy was great, I'm just a dummy. Because, yeah, ultimately, they've got to make their own decisions. But it's our job to raise them in such a way that they can make informed and godly decisions because they know what they are. Because they can't make a godly decision if they don't know what one is. That's our responsibility is to teach them. And then finally, I just want to mention, we need to bring our children up in the love of the Lord. We need to be an example to them that they would know how to live and that they would, in turn, grow up to be godly parents as well. It's been said that a child is not likely to find a father in God unless he finds something of God in his father. A Bible school teacher asked her class to draw a picture of God for her, and a little boy finished first and said, I drew a picture of my daddy because I don't know what God looks like, but I know what my dad looks like. And that's the responsibility that we have as as fathers and mothers, is to be a godly example to our children. Then Ephesians 6, 5 through 8, It says, Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. You see, this passage here in particular is dealing with, with, with slaves back in, you know, this was a, an issue in Roman time. They had bond slaves, which were slaves by choice and regular slaves and, and all that steel stuff. But he's talking about bond servants here. But in today's society, what this more uh, correctly maps to would just be the employer-employee relationship. This is, this is us when we go to work. In, in essence, we've made the choice to be bond servants to our employer because we receive from them a paycheck. And we're called to obey our masters, our bosses. You know, when, when and not only that, it says we're to do it as we would Christ. That means when, you're, when your boss gives you an instruction, as long as it is not contrary to the will of God, it comes with the authority of Christ. Because that's what you've agreed to when you've entered into that, to that contract with them, to work for them. You've agreed to do what they ask, and they've agreed to pay you, Right? So we're to call to obey our masters, our bosses, as we would Christ, with fear and trembling. And what that means is, is with an understanding of their position, with all the respect that their position deserves in their life, in our lives, because they are our boss. And how many know, just like, as long as you have a good boss, he's doing the right thing, that just like as parents, we don't give our children instructions to ruin their life, but it's for their benefit, Bosses, when they give you instruction, it's, it's for your benefit and the benefit of the company. It's not to take your fun away. You know, if they're having a problem with nobody getting any work done because everybody's on Facebook, so they, they let out a rule that says, you know what, no more Facebook unless you're at lunch. 
How many know that's not because they want to take your fun away, but it's because it's, it's impacting the business. And then it says that, that we should do these things with a sincere heart, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers. Eye service, what that means is, have you ever seen those people that when the boss walks around the corner, oh, they're hard at work, they're looking good. But as soon as he walks around the corner, they're doing nothing again. That's eye service. When they're, they're just doing it in front of people. We need to make sure as Christians, we're not those kind of people. You should be, oh my goodness, I am so far behind. <laughs> but you should be, as a Christian, the best worker at your place. Not because of pride in yourself or pride in your work, not that you shouldn't have those things, but, but because you're working under the Lord, as we'll see. Right here it says that, that we are to render service with a good will as to the Lord, not to man. All of our work should be unto the Lord. We should be doing the best job that we can because we're doing it unto the Lord. And Christians should be the best worker because this should be our attitude. And the Bible goes on to say that God will... <clears throat> will reward you for that. It says, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord. Even if you're not getting the, the respect or honor you think you deserve from your employer, how many know that God is going to reward you for being a godly employee? Amen? And then it says, masters, do the same. Ephesians 6, 9 says, masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he was both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. Bosses are supposed to, to, to lead as under Christ as well. They're supposed to work as under Christ as well. They should be working hard and not just doing eye service as well. All those same principles we just talked about apply to the employees, but also, or to the employers, but also to the employees. No, although I had it right the first time. To the employees and employers. The bosses have to follow these same things as well. You know, and this can be applied on your own business or if you're in leadership somewhere. Or even if you're just hiring the neighbor kids down the street to pull weeds for you. You need to be acting in a godly manner when you're dealing with those people that are under your authority for that, that moment of time. And then as, as workers and as bosses, we need to recognize that even though in the business world there may be a clear separation of roles and authority and the boss is higher than the, the employee in those, those situations, but spiritually we're on the same, the same footing. We're on equal footing. That's something Paul is dealing with here. It says that, that he is both their master and yours in heaven, that there is no partiality with him. While there is maybe strict guidelines of rules and, and roles in an in a, in a organization for the business to function, ultimately God is their, their master in heaven, and there's no partiality with them. So you need to be careful how we're treating each other at work. Because even though that there may be, you may be in a position of authority, if you abuse that position, then you're taking advantage. Because ultimately... In the eyes of Christ, we're all equal. Amen? In an, even in an environment where there's clearly defined differences between the roles, the love of Christ in us and what he has accomplished in us should dictate and direct every decision and interaction we make between each other. Amen? So now, we're done with the instructions. We've gone through two and a half chapters of instructions, how to live our lives. And now here comes the part where he's going to tell us, this is how you do it. First, to be able to do all these things that you've been instructed, you need to recognize where your strength comes from. In Ephesians 6.10 it says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Do you know what your strength should come from the Lord? 
That's where you should draw all your strength. And we're not strong because of our, of our own ability or our own strength. We're actually strong because God is strong in us. Currently, you guys ever heard of exoskeletons? Currently right now, there's plenty of, of uh, organizations and companies that are designing exoskeletons. And even our own Raytheon here, I don't know if they're working on it here, but the company Raytheon is, is currently developed an exoskeleton that has arms and legs that, that a person would wear. And it allows them to lift 200 pounds with little or no effort. They're wearing this thing. They can just pick up 200 pounds with no effort. I was reading there's another company called Cyberdyne. Doesn't that sound like it would be a company out of Terminator or something? But Cyberdyne has a, 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 a robot called HAL-5, and it's an arm and leg uh, exoskeleton as well. And it's a cyborg-type wearable robot that allows the wearer to lift 10 times as much as they normally could. And it's currently in use in Japanese hospitals, and it was given global safety certification in 2013. This, is this, this exoskeleton allows you to lift 10 times your own weight. If Michelle was wearing one of those, she could run up here and lift me in her arms and twirl me around. <laughs> It's not happening in her strength, but in the strength of this robot, this exoskeleton, she could do that. You know, the strength of God is kind of like that. When you're operating in the strength of God, it's not based on your own strength, but it's, it's based on His strength in you. You have an exoskeleton that makes you stronger than you can ever imagine in Christ, but the primary difference between an exoskeleton and, and the strength of God is that even the exoskeleton has limits. There still comes a weight that it can't lift. There still comes uh, an object that is so heavy that even it can't do it. But I want you to know that when you are operating in the strength of God, that there is nothing that is too heavy. There is nothing that is, that is too much for you to handle, for you to lift, for you to take, a, take care of. Because His strength is limitless. And His strength is yours. You guys have ever heard the, uh, the song... Uh, uh, Oh, I forget the name of the song, but the, the words are, I am weak and he is strong. Jesus loves me. That's the name of the song. You know, that song has actually kind of got it wrong. It says, I am weak, but he is strong. Here, let me read you the scripture where this was probably drawn from. In 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10, it says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. This is Paul speaking. And then he says this, for when I am weak, then I am strong. You know, not that there's anything wrong. The, the words are true. God is strong even though we are weak. But the, the principle that we're dealing with is not that he, that, that he is strong, I am weak. But the principle is that even though I am weak in him, I am strong. In Christ, you are strong. The truth is I have many weaknesses. As, a, as I began pastoring this church for the last year and a half, there's been a, a lot that have shined out towards me. There's a lot that I didn't know. There's a lot that I'm just pressing through and doing the best I can because... Some of this stuff is hard, and you know, there's, there's no way to prepare for it all. And if it wasn't for the, the strength of God in me, guiding me and, and drawing on His strength, we wouldn't be here today. And I also remember when my father passed away. And I know I use this example a lot, but I do because it's so recent, and I, I still remember it and, and all the stuff that was going through. But when my father passed away, my, my rest of my family dealt with it in a lot of different ways. 
Now, I was still hurt when my father passed away, but I wasn't broken. I wasn't wrecked like some people were because I was drawing on the strength of the Lord. It was His strength that held me up. It was His strength that reminded me that I'd get to see Him again someday. But when we draw on the strength of the Lord, that's how we can accomplish all those things. And then after drawing on the strength of the Lord, the Bible says that we need to put on the whole armor of God. Ephesians 6, 11 through 12 says, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. First, strength comes from the Lord, and the next thing you need to do after you've been made strong is put on the armor of God. God has given us the tools to protect ourselves with and be effective in battle. You know, that's the, the purpose of armor is it protects you from attacks. That's why, that's why soldiers back then wore armor. That's actually why they wear, they wear armor now. Even modern soldiers, they wear Kevlar and all these different things because it protects them from being, from being damaged by the, the bullets of the enemy. I was reading a story as I was going through this. There was a guy in, in Iraq that was shot in the head four times and survived because he was wearing a Kevlar helmet. That's amazing. That's, that's, that's some effective armor right there. And I want you to know that, that when we go to war, we use 5.56-millimeter uh, <clears throat> bullets. They're a lot smaller than the 7.62-millimeter 7. 7. 7. bullets that the enemy is using. The reason why we don't use them is because of the damage they cause. And he was able to withstand four of those in the head because of that armor. You know, that's the point, point of armor is that we'd be protected. That we pick up the armor of God, that we'd be protected from the enemy. And then next you notice, though, he says, put on the whole armor of God. We don't want to pick and choose pieces that are convenient for us. Put on the whole armor. Because if you don't put on the whole armor, you're going to have spots that are vulnerable. Any of you guys remember Xena, the warrior princess? You remember the armor she used to wear? How many of those not really effective armor? You know, if you get up in the morning and you only pick up a couple pieces of armor of God and you walk out looking like Xena, the warrior princess then you're not doing it right. Put on the whole armor of God so that you don't have any vulnerabilities. And the truth is, we need armor because we're at war. The Bible says that, that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. We are at war, whether you want to be or not. So you need to have your armor on. And then it says, we're not wrestling against people. We're not wrestling against flesh and blood. We're wrestling against <clears throat> rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We're wrestling against the enemy and his spirits of darkness that are working with him. The, the demons that are working with him, we're, we're fighting against those things. Not against flesh and blood. This means that even people that we see that are doing terrible and ungodly things, those aren't the people we're battling. They're under the influence of the God of this world. That's why they're doing these things. So it's not them that we hate. It's, it's the things that are controlling them. In 2 Corinthians 4.4 4, it says, in, the case, in their case of the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. The God of this world, Satan, is blinding people, and that's why they're doing these things. So we don't hate them. We hate the things that they're doing and the things that are controlling them. 
because the devil has blinded them from seeing the light of the gospel. And it's interesting, probably not why he used this word, but it's an interesting correlation that, that it says we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Wrestling is an athletic term. And in Greek, uh, Greek wrestling, when they would wrestle, did you know that the loser of the wrestling match had their eyes gouged out and they were blind for the rest of their life? That's a desperate struggle when you're out. You know what? If that happened in high school today, people would, people would be, the conditioning would be okay. Let's go for another run. I want to win so I can see when we're done. You know, that's a, that's a, a pretty a hefty struggle they would wrestle. And if they lost, their eyes were gadged out. And I was reading, when I was reading that verse again, 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, it says, in their, case, in their case of the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. You know, if they lose that wrestling match, they're blinded to seeing the light of the gospel. Much like the Greek wrestlers were blinded. Blindness to the gospel is probably one of the most effective attacks of the enemy. Because if they refuse to see the light of God, then there's nothing that we can do for them. And the enemy wants to attack that sight. So we wrestle not against them, but against Him. You guys ever heard the expression, hate the sin, not the sinner? That's why we have that expression. But the truth is, is that as Christians, this needs to be more than just a pithy catchphrase. This needs to be the attitude of our heart, because this is the attitude of God. He died for those while they were sinners. He died for us while we were sinners. And it's true, we're not fighting people. We need to love people, but we are fighting against these things. So we need the armor of God on. Next, he says once again in Ephesians 6, 13-15, Therefore take up the whole armor of God. You know, if Paul tells you it twice, it's probably pretty important that you pick up the whole armor and not just pick the pieces that you want. You know, if you're picking out armor for a fashion statement, like I said, you've got a problem. But he says we, we take it up that we might be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand firm, stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. He says, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand on the evil day and having done all to stand firm. And then after you've done all to stand firm, what are you supposed to do? Stand therefore. <laughs> Continue to stand firm in that armor. And he says that we've fastened on the belt of truth. Actually, let's back up a second here. You know, we're talking about doing all to stand firm, and then afterwards we have to stand firm. Have you guys ever seen videos of New York when there people are crossing the street? It's just like this mob of people crossing the street. You see, we need the armor of God because there's going to be times that we're going to be going against the traffic. Matter of fact, if you're not feeling any resistance from the enemy, if you're feeling like, man, what do I need armor of God for? Everything's going great. You might want to check which direction you're walking. Because if you're walking in line with the enemy, how many? there's not going to be any resistance. But when you're walking against the enemy, that's when he's going to butt heads with you. And if you think about it, it's just like in those, those rivers of people. Anybody that's trying to walk against that flow, they're having a hard time. They're getting kicked. They're getting pushed. They're getting, the people are trying to trample them because they're going against the flow. That's why we need the armor of God. Because when we're going against the flow of the enemy, he's going to attack. Matter of fact, you can see as a church right now, we got a lot of stuff going on. People are getting sick. 
Relationships are being attacked. We're seeing all kinds of things. This is spiritual warfare. We're, we're in a fight for this city. And the enemy doesn't want us to be successful. We're going against the flow. And that's why it's important now more than ever for us to all put on the armor of God. He says, put on the, fasten on the belt of truth. Other translations say, gird your loins. Basically what it's talking about here is this is the, the, the piece that puts it all together. You know, when you, put your, when you put your pants on, we all wear a belt because it keeps, keeps our pants up. This is the piece that keeps everything together. The truth of the gospel is what pins all of this together and holds it on. And also, Satan is a liar. And he's going to come at you telling you all kinds of lies. And all of his attacks are going to be lies. The Bible says he's the father of lies. So that's why it's so important that we have the truth with us, because the truth is what will set us free from that. Then he goes on to say that we put on the breastplate of righteousness. You know, the breastplate was the biggest piece of armor that, that a soldier would wear, and it protects them from their neck down to, usually that piece would cover even over their legs, and, and it was just a massive piece of armor, a massive piece of protection. And the breastplate of righteousness is going to protect you from false accusations. Because the enemy is going to point out your failings, but I want you to know it's God's that makes you righteous, not your actions. In Romans 8.33, the Bible says, Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Keep on that breastplate of righteousness because nobody can bring a charge against you when it happens. And it says that, As for shoes for our feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Readiness from the gospel of peace is that the gospel makes you new. It makes you brand new. A new life placed inside of you and that, that readies you to face the enemy. If you've not been remade, if you've not been born again, you have no hope at standing against the enemy. But if you've been born again, the peace that comes with the gospel, the gospel of peace, that when you've been made brand new and you know that your trust is in the Lord, that puts you in a, in a state of readiness for any scheme or attack of the enemy. Then he goes on to say in Ephesians 6, 16 through 17, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. A Roman soldier's shield, and that's where a lot of these examples are coming from because Paul was living in Rome at the time and people understood what a Roman soldier looked like. They understood their armor and what it did. But a Roman soldier's shield, when they put it up, would cover them from head to toe. They were, it was an incredible a piece of protection from any arrow or sword attack of the enemy that they were facing. And much the same today that the shield of faith allows us to extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Faith in God in all areas of our life allows us this protection. When you trust God implicitly, any attack from the enemy is made impotent. If you lose your job, if you're, you say, my trust is in God, not in my paycheck, and that attack has become impotent, it doesn't destroy you because your trust is in God. Or what about if you become sick? God has already paid the price that you might be well, and you put your trust in that, and that attack has become impotent. Or what about if people tell you that you're not good enough or that you're worthless to know that you are loved by God 
and that he died for you, that defines your worth, not what people say. And those attacks have been made impotent. They've been extinguished because of that shield of faith, because your faith is in God and not in what's going on around you or what other people are telling you. And then next we know your head needs to be protected as well. So he says, take the helmet of salvation. You know, the helmet of salvation protects our minds. You know, because your, your head, your mind is an important thing that needs to be protected. It's actually how, if you remember, that's how it all started. The, the enemy was able to lie and, and basically gain control of the mind of Adam and Eve. He convinced them that he was right and not God. And he was able to get them to take from that tree. And it started this, this whole journey that basically we're all on. But salvation protects your mind because when you get saved, you give your whole life to the Lord. Your mind, your will, your thoughts, your emotions, everything you've given to God when you, when you get saved. You call Him your Lord and your Savior. You're obedient to Him. Because the truth is, if they're not His and your thoughts are compromised, this always leads to defeat and to sin. In James 1.15 it says, Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Now this is why in 2 Corinthians 10, chapter 5, Paul says that we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. Because if the enemy can get your mind... He's got you. Then it talks about the the sword of the Spirit. We've been protecting, talking about protection, and now we get to to fight back a little bit. The sword is our weapon. In Hebrews 4.12, it says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joint and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Even in the book of Hebrews, Paul describes the, the, the word of God as like a sword. It's our weapon to fight against the plans of the enemy. Matter of fact, Jesus even showed us how incredibly effective this weapon is against the devil. Do you remember when he was out in the wilderness? And three times, what was Jesus' response to the enemy? It is written. In Luke 4, 1 through, 1 through uh, 13, he says, It is written that a man shall not live on bread alone. That's when, when the devil's like, Hey, why don't you take this, this stone and turn it into bread? You're hungry. You've been out here for 40 days without eating. Turn it into stone. And he said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. He used the word of God as a sword against the enemy. And then he took him up to the top of the mountain and he said, Look over all this. If you'll just fall down and worship me, you can have it all because I'm the God of this world and it's mine. And Jesus said what? He said, it is written that you shall worship the Lord your God alone. And then he said, well, how about you jump off this cliff and and the angels will protect you and keep you safe. And what did Jesus say? It is written that you shall not put the Lord God to the test. He used the, the word as a weapon against the enemy and we can do the same thing when the enemy comes against us. When he begins making accusations, when he begins doing these things, we use the word against him as a weapon. You know, the, the armor of God is actually a picture of Jesus Christ. In John 14, 6, we find that, that Christ is the truth. Remember the, the belt of truth? In 2 Corinthians 5, 21, we see that He is our righteousness. In Ephesians 2, 14, we see that He is our peace. In Hebrews 12, 2, we find that He is the founder and perfecter of our faith. 
In Luke 2.30, he, he is our salvation. And in John 1, 1, we learn that Jesus is the Word of God. The armor of God is a picture of Jesus. And when you get saved, when you receive Jesus into your heart, you have that armor available. You just need to take it up and put it on every day to be protected. And Paul goes on to say that in Ephesians 6, 18-20, that we should pray at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the Gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Praying at all times is to be in an attitude of prayer at all times, not necessarily saying prayers at all times. That's the first thing when I read stuff like this, praying at all times. Then in Colossians, he says something similar as well, and you're like, how would I get anything done if I was constantly praying? I mean, I couldn't even talk to the gas attendant for, to, to pay my bill. If I was praying at all times, that doesn't make any sense. Pray at all times. But what he's talking about is having an attitude of prayer at all times. Someone once said that you need to keep the receiver off the hook. You know, those of us who actually use phones with cords and the little the knob that hung them up, we get that reference because you just, you just left it off the hook when you had somebody there. Remember the old party lines that if you left it off the hook, anybody could listen and they had the party line in your neighborhood? That's what he's talking about. Be, be in an attitude that you're, you're able to speak to God at any time. That the receiver is off the hook, that you can hear him and he can hear you. He says that we need to pray at all times in the Spirit and also with all prayer and supplication. There's a difference between praying with your mind and praying in the Spirit. In 1 Corinthians 14, 14-15, Paul said, For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. You know, we're to do both, praying in tongues, praying in the Spirit, as well as praying with our, our thoughts and with our, with our words and our, and our mind. And the interesting thing, this is the, the end of a sentence here. It actually starts, in all circumstances, take up the armor of God, pray, comma, pray at all times in the Spirit, and also with, do this with prayer and supplication. We're supposed to be doing all of these things. And then he goes on to say, and sorry I'm rushing through this, but we're running out of time, but he goes on to say that uh, uh, we need to, be, to keep alert with all perseverance. How many know that if you're at war and you fall asleep at your post, it doesn't matter what armor you're wearing, it doesn't matter what you're doing, if, if the enemy can sneak up, up on you because you're not paying attention, he can kill you right away. When I was in the army, we would have to stand out for, for lean-to and stand-to, which is basically at, the, uh, at, at dawn or in, in dusk. We would set up a perimeter around our camp, and we would watch out. And uh, we were doing, I was in uh, uh, basic training at the time, we were doing this, and uh, we were basically practicing for war, because that's what you do as a soldier. <laughs> so, but we were watching to make sure that, that the, the enemy, or in our case, our instructors, couldn't sneak into our camp. And if somebody fell asleep, they would get in and wreak havoc. And oh, was it bad for the person that fell asleep. And oh, you wanted to fall asleep sometimes. It would be cold out there. You're laying on the hard ground. It's that time of day when you really can't see anything because it's not quite light and it's not quite dark. And you just wanted to fall asleep. But if you did, the enemy could get you. 
And the same thing goes for us in the spiritual world as well. If you're not alert, if you're not paying attention, if you become dull to the things that are going on around you, the enemy can attack. And the armor won't do you any good because he can just come right up behind you and get to you. And he says, while we're keeping alert with all perseverance, we've got to persevere. That's, you know, I read this stuff and I'm like, keep alert, that's great. And he says, well then, with all perseverance. When he tells you that you have to persevere, that means that probably sometimes it may not be as easy as you want it to be. Sometimes it might feel a little long. Sometimes we need to persevere though. And then he says, making supplication for all the saints. And supplication is just a, a humble request. We need to be praying for, for our fellow soldiers in battle as well. You know, we're not the only ones that need to pick up the armor of God. But also, all of our fellow soldiers in this war need to do the same as well. And for that, we should be praying for them as they should be praying for us. And then Paul goes on to say, Also, pray for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. We need to be praying for for our leaders and those that we know are, 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 are preaching and teaching the gospel. But also, this same thing can go for each and every one of us because we've all been called to preach the gospel. There's not a single one of us in this room that hasn't been called to preach the gospel. And we need to do it boldly to proclaim this mystery of the gospel. And we need to ask God that we could declare it boldly as we ought to speak, that he would give us the words that we would be effective. And then we'll go ahead and finish up at the, the last few scriptures of the chapter. Ephesians 6, 21-24 says, So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. Tychicus, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may, now, you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. I always love when I read his letters because you just see the heart of Paul all the time. Paul's in prison, he's in chains, and his first thought is about the people that he's ministering to. You know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send... Man, i got to stop, stop pointing that guy's name out because I have no idea how to say it. Tychicus. Hey, thank you, sir. So he says, I'm going to send Tychicus to, uh, to be with you, let you know how I'm doing, to encourage you, to lift you up. Paul's in prison, and his first thought is about the people he's ministering to you. You know what? That's the kind of heart that I want to have. Heart for those that, that are around me. Heart for my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And then he, after that, he, he begins to declare peace and love and faith from God to those. Are we praying those things over our fellow brothers and sisters? Are we declaring those, those blessings and those promises in their lives? You know, as we've gone through this book, the, the book of Ephesians, we've, we've learned a lot. And there's, there's a lot of, of great stuff in this book. You know, we learned who we, who we are and what we have in Christ. We, we've been instructed on how to live our lives. And then Paul goes on to tell you even how to, to carry that out by, by, being, by drawing strength from the Lord and walking in the armor of God. Then you can live the way that he's instructed us to live. So this morning, I, I just want us to resolve to make the conscious decision every morning when we get up to put on the armor of God, to draw on the Lord Let's make the decision to do these things every single day. Amen? 
Amen. All right, let's go ahead and stand and we'll uh, close the service.